Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. For another Sunday morning of edition of Pot of Gold Extra Point. My name is Tom Noy, joined as usual by my co-host and still in the Steel City, Pittsburgh, Carter Carls. First question, did that 45-3 Notre Dame victory look as dominating in person in the press box of Heinz Field as it did back here in Indiana on television? Go. It did. I mean... Really, all three phases of the game, offense, defense, special teams, Notre Dame dominated, and that's exactly what you'd want to see. Um, Pitt's not a very good football team, but you know Notre Dame has not had a wire-to-wire performance like that besides South Florida, which you know is basically a D2 team. So um, to do that against Pittsburgh, that's one of the most dominating wins that they've had over a Power 5 opponent really in the last couple decades. It's the most convincing win over a Power 5 team since 2003, 57-7 win over Stanford. So you got to love it, you know, and and Brian Kelly was really not afraid to to talk about that win and what it meant for Clemson. Said they've kind of looked ahead, which, you know, in normal circumstances, looking ahead is just kind of frowned upon by the football community, but – well, frowned, frowned upon in public. I'm sure they do it privately, but in public, oh, yeah. they always say one game at a time. We're not thinking about Clemson. I guarantee you, ever since this season started, the Duke game, the restart, uh, every week, everybody over there at that football complex is looking toward one game, and that's coming up in 13 days. And who who can blame them? I mean, they they should be. Now, obviously, it's not like you you don't want to center your practices around one team and only have one game plan for the whole year, but uh, they're not doing that. And I think it's a good thing to do that, to keep them in mind and say, okay, how are we getting better? What, what do we need to have by Clemson? And, you know, we always knew that this defense was going to deliver, that this defense was going to be rock solid this year. The question mark was the offense, the wide receivers, Ian Book, and they took a tremendous step forward. Uh, on on Saturday, you know, you talk about having five different pass catchers that had at least 20 yards uh, on a catch. You talk about uh, three or four, you, actually four total plays of at least 20 yards to a wide receiver. Before this, through four games, they only had three such plays. So stretching the ball vertically, and a lot of that had to do with Ben Skoranek, the grad transfer from Northwestern. They were able to do that, and Ian Book, I mean, it's not like he just had three passes downfield. He was chucking it deep uh, early and often, which is exactly what you want to see from him. I love the, the quote from Brian Kelly, a lot of his quotes in the postgame. You know, usually you get a coach 
especially on the road, wants to get in there, wants to get out, wants to get back on the flight and get home, giving us a bunch of coach speak. Like we listened to Brian Kelly last week when they beat Louisville 12-7, and one of the first things he said is winning is hard. You know, it's, it's not going to be pretty. It's hard to do this. But it was almost like he even took the wraps off of himself when he was talking in the postgame. Here's part of his opening statement when he said, really proud of the way they elevated their compete level. The challenge was this week was so much more about individuals and the team that what's important now is also about what's important next. And there's so and so there's this understanding with this group that everything they do now has bearings on who we are as a football team later in the season. We needed to elevate our compete level, and they certainly did that today. This is a very good glimpse of what this football team is capable of. I love that quote, like Brian Kelly talking about, it's not just about winning anymore. We have to go out and we have to pound people. And they, yeah. th- that's what they should have done to Louisville. Like Louisville and Pittsburgh, two bad football teams, for whatever reason, that didn't happen against Louisville. Louisville or Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh's just awful. And it was good to see when it was 7-3 for Notre Dame to finish that out and score 38 unanswered points against that team in that environment on the road for the first time. They shrugged all that off and said, Let's play like the number three team in the country. Yeah, and, and you know, Pittsburgh, they were really loading the box. They, they had the number one def- run defense heading into the game, number two in sacks. So they did present a challenge in some ways. But you could really tell Ian Book prepared. We talked with Ben Skronik after the game, and he said, you know, Ian Book was not very happy last week. He was, <laughs> you know, taking a lot of extra time in the film room, uh, just really unpleased with his performance last week against Louisville. Against Louisville, it was his fourth lowest passer efficiency rating of his career. I believe this game against Pitt was his second best against the Power 5 school. Might be wrong, but it's up there for sure. One of his better performances, um, just pushing the ball downfield and and letting it rip. I mean, he's, he didn't have the completion percentage at 16 of 30, but mm-hmm. when you're when you're throwing for over 300 yards and three touchdowns it doesn't, and, and no interceptions, it doesn't matter as much. Pittsburgh was also forcing a lot of turnovers this year, and the one great thing about Ian Book so far this year is he's only thrown one pick through five games. Uh, he's not turning the ball over, and when you do that and you're pushing the field vertically and making plays with your legs and converting for third downs – very big uh, up until he came out of the game the end of the third quarter they were 11 to 16 on third down he was finding Michael Mayer a couple times on third down and and that's what you want to see we saw it against Louisville they they when it when the chips were down on third down they were able to move the football extend the drive also look at the time of possession another area they dominated again uh, I joked mid-game that Notre Dame is looking like Navy this year, where it's just like they're going to dominate the game flow. They're, they're going to control the football, the time of possession. They're going to run the football. It was a little bit different this game where, where they were chucking it deep. But for the most part, this is a team that's really going to dictate how the game is controlled with their defense and with how they control the time of possession. And uh, – Again, all three phases were were very good, and, and I don't know if we've seen that this year other than South Florida. Time of possession, Notre Dame, 41 minutes. You're not going to lose a lot of games if you're going to possess the ball for 41 minutes with that offensive line and those that group of running backs. Now, show of hands, how many people had 
Siebel Flemister as the team's <laughs> leading rusher going in. Who, who, who saw that coming? Now, he only ran for 48 yards. You had Ian Book with 40, Kyron Williams with 38. Those were the only three Notre Dame players that, that had positive rushing yards. So they only rushed for 115 yards, but you do it against that defense. Like you said, they were the number one defense, rush defense coming in to the game at, what, 61? They were allowing 61.5 yards per game rushing. So basically nothing, 61 yards a game. Notre Dame got 73 of those 115 in the first half. So they were able to dominate, run the ball against that defense with that offensive line. You're going to possess the ball for 41 minutes. You're going to win a lot of those ACC games. I don't know if that's going to happen in two weeks, but for this game, that was a pretty good job. And I liked what Tommy Reese did to kind of, I guess, counteract that run defense, Mm -hmm. having Ian Book, you know, run the football. Kyron Williams was a little bit more involved in the passing game. They didn't really rely much on Chris Tyree. They went more Sebo Flemister just because he can really barrel through and get those extra yards. So it was very clear that they had a game plan to kind of counteract that. Um, Another thing, just relying on the defense. I think there was some criticism early in the game when they punted. Uh, I believe they had like a fourth and eight at their own at the pit 37. But that's just what this team is going to be this year where they're going to trust their defense when, you know, they might be, it might look different when you're playing Clemson, but against these teams you're expected to win, they're going to be punting it in enemy territory. They're going to be flipping the field. They're going to be looking for, you know, uh, field position and, and, can, can, you know, dictating how the game is, is going based off those things just because they trust in their defense. And I thought that was a big mistake that Pitt made is they basically tried to do the same thing when they're on their backup quarterback, they're a double-digit underdog. You know, you shouldn't be punting inside the 40. And so <laughs> I, I, I thought Brian Kelly uh, outcoached Pat Narduzzi oh, yeah. uh, big time. I mean, it, it wasn't even close. And uh, from a coaching perspective, I thought this was a great game from Notre Dame too. Uh, so, yeah, it, like all three phases, coaching, it couldn't have been more dominant. Circling back to the offense, the game plan against that pit defense, not being able to run the ball, only averaged 2.3 yards per carry. Here was the game plan for Tommy Reese. Get the ball into the hands of Michael Mayer. Five catches, 73 yards, one touchdown, all career highs for the freshman. I don't know how many times they said on the ABC broadcast, Todd McShay said that Michael Mayer is the most talented player on the Notre Dame roster, entire roster. That, that also yeah. includes Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa. So when you, have a, when you have a weapon like Michael Mayer, and to some extent Tommy Tremble, I know Tremble only had one catch for one yard, might have hurt his wrist when he fell in the end zone on that Kyron Williams halfback option play. He came up holding his wrist a little bit, so we'll have to see what that – what happens with that moving forward. But when you've got a guy like Michael Mayer, and we've talked about this the last couple of weeks, a tight end talent like that, you've got to find a way to get the ball in his hands. And this was, this was the perfect game to do that for Tommy Reese. And he was able to do that. Michael Mayer. I remember coming out of high school. Obviously he was highly touted five-star guy. The one concern, the, the one, well, okay, this might be the one thing that keeps him from being that freak was just his straight line speed, just kind of matching him up with the, the you know, biggest five-star guys in the class. 
he has shown that that has not been any concern at all. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he just has such a big catch radius and such a big um, ability to make plays in traffic, uh, 50-50 balls in the air. He's smart at finding the right spot in the zone and the defense. There was a play on on Saturday, a third and 10 in the third quarter. He got a 14-yard pickup after doing a, du- a quick little double move and, and basically just fooled a linebacker. So he is already refined in so many different ways. It's not like he's just got one thing that he's good at. He's good at a lot of different things. And I think the biggest thing is he's become such a huge target on third down and in the red zone. Uh, to me, I don't know if Ian Book trusts another guy more than Michael Mayer, besides maybe Ben Skoranek, just because wow. of the chemistry they have there. And to do that as a true freshman is crazy. And I look back, kind of compared some of his numbers with Kyle Rudolph, who had the most prolific season for a true freshman tight end at Notre Dame, and it's right on par. And you think back then, you know, uh, Kyle Rudolph was in the mix with Michael Floyd, Golden Tate. He had Jimmy Clausen as his quarterback. I mean, there, he, he was able to have attention away from him, and he was able to, you know, uh, produce in a lot of one-on-one situations, whereas Michael Mayer will have more attention on him and isn't in the most prolific offense that's always going to be giving him the opportunity. But despite all of that, he is just as productive. And to me, I think he's the best. I mean, I didn't get to see Rudolph week to week, mm-hmm. but Michael Mayer is the best true freshman tight end they have ever had. And I think he is pacing himself to be the best tight end they've ever had. And they're a place that considers themselves tight end you. So that would be quite the distinction. I mean, I thought since he's been a recruit that he'd be a a future first round pick, but I feel like he's already exceeding expectations that year one where, I mean, for him to be called the best, most talented guy on the offense, on the whole team, that's crazy. I mean, that is high praise from a guy like Todd McShay, who was one of the lead draft analysts for ESPN. Okay, that might be high praise, but we do have to back up. And if, if Todd McShay is going to praise Michael Mayer, he also did admit on the telecast that as he was doing his prep work for Notre Dame and moving toward this, this game this season earlier this year, Todd McShay admitted that he had no idea who Kyron Williams was. None. I'll give him a pass. I mean, Tyron Williams had played like four plays before this year. And he was like the very bottom of the depth chart. It would have been like knowing who Jameer Smith is or Sebo Flemister, you know? Like it's – the guy just didn't play. But, yeah, I I remember that first game against Duke. Todd McShay was like, whoa, who is this number 23? (laughs) And he thought the same thing with Jeremiah Wusukormo last year. He was like, I'm watching the tape. And I'm trying to look at, you know, Julian Aquara, Koa Kareem. But who's this number six? I remember him saying that. So it's always funny seeing what the draft analysts pick up on. But it's clear that Michael Mayer is already getting a lot of attention. Okay, from a defensive standpoint, here's a multiple choice question. You ready? Uh Uh-oh. What was most impressive about the defense? Giving up 162 total yards to Pittsburgh, as Notre Dame did on Saturday. Or – coming into the game with only one interception total then leaving with four. They had three picks yesterday. Which, which one to you, Carter Carls, was most impressive for the Irish? I'll go with the latter. I think um, 
heading into the game, a big reason why interceptions were a problem is just, they just couldn't finish. It was uh, the big issue was you'd always see Nick McLeod in position to make mm-hmm. a play. It was almost Troy Pride like. It was reminiscent of Pride last year, where he was always right there, but he just couldn't get a hand on the ball, couldn't get both hands around the ball. Um, I remember Troy Pride last year didn't have a pick until the Duke game, uh, and this year it's been kind of the same. I and mean, even in the Pitt game, you saw the play that Sean Crawford made, where wasn't really making a play on the ball, and it, he gave up a huge pass play. You, you see it now and then where you just would hope that these guys would finish. And they're obviously not going to be throwing to Kyle Hamilton's direction much, uh, and, and they know what kind of threat he is. So they're testing a lot of guys on the outside. We saw them test Tariq Racy. Nick McLeod is still a guy who's establishing himself. Uh, or I meant Clarence Lewis because the, the true freshman Clarence Lewis was in the game. So they're testing him quite a bit. Um, and for Clarence Lewis to be starting, for Sean Crawford to be at safety, and for Nick McLeod, a guy we had no idea what he'd be produced to be a boundary corner, it was impressive to have a three-interception performance. I know they're going against a backup quarterback, but – A bad backup quarterback. A bad backup quarterback. God, he was awful. He was pretty bad. But also <laughs> Bo Bauer getting a pick um, – I'd like to talk about Bo Bauer for a second, just because. Okay, let's talk about Bo Bauer. I mean, this season for him seemingly came out of nowhere. I mean, Drew White had established himself as the uh, tied for team tackles last year, really had cemented himself as the guy at middle linebacker. Uh, Jack Lamb was the nickel linebacker, a guy that was really good in coverage. Um, they had Jeremiah Usukoromoa who would show up in coverage situations. But they have used Bo Bauer in this nickel package, this, this kind of like third down and long package uh, where they put three safeties on the field. He has been the mainstay there and has really made some plays. Um, his coverage ability was really one of the biggest question marks for him his first couple of years, really one of the big things that kept him off the field. He was thought to be kind of that traditional – 240-pound linebacker who, you know, he's going to fill the gaps. He's going to stop the run. But coverage, now he's not going to be able to cover a slot guy. But he has shown this year that he can be in those situations. We saw him make a play yesterday, and it just speaks to the work that he's put in this offseason and, and really shaving away those doubts that, that he can't be a coverage guy. And listening to Bo Bauer speak – and listening to Brian Kelly speak this year, I think the, the one thing that Bo Bauer had to realize was he couldn't go out there and be like this wild man on defense, like this, this crazy yeah. guy that just let loose with all his energy and his enthusiasm and just ran around making plays. I think the game had to become more cerebral for him to get on the field. He's kind of toned down his wild man stuff and has become more of a thinker out there on defense, which is what we're able to see why he's in the action more coming up with a, with a tackle yesterday, a pick, a quarterback hurry. Bo Bauer is always going to be a special teams staple. But if he can do more of that, what he did on Saturday, he's going to find himself on the field more as they move forward. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I did it crunched a couple numbers yesterday. Notre Dame's defense was on the field for – their starting defense was on the field for nine possessions, if you exclude the one-play drive at the end of the first half. Mm-hmm. First possession was a field goal. 
after that, the rest of the, the eight possessions were either, you know, five punts or ended in three interceptions. 49 plays, 126 yards, three points. I mean, you, you can't get much better than that. And Eric Hansen, uh, our colleague, kind of did the numbers and, and found that they woke up today sixth nationally in scoring defense, seventh in pass efficiency defense, ninth in total defense, 13th in rush defense, fifth on third down defense. And a lot of teams ahead of them have only played one game. If you take those teams out, it's second, third, fourth, eighth, second. So they're top 10 in basically every important category. They're giving up fewer than 10 points a game now. Uh, I know they've had some bad competition, but it, it's so important when you have this defense. You know, obviously we talk about Ian Book having to push the ball down the field and everything, but this allows him to be safe. You know, I think the fact that he has only one interception this year isn't, you know, some some crazy feat. Like, that. that's probably been the intention is to be safe, run the football, um, take your chances when you need to, and that sort of thing, and, and punt the ball inside the 40 if you have to. Uh, that's just what this defense allows you to do. It lets you be a little bit safer, and it lets you uh, kind of dictate everything based off how your defense is playing. So when you have a defense like that and a guy like Clark Lee who can adjust – uh, that's a huge strength. And playing safe and getting Michael Mayer more involved in the offense, and Ian Book not taking a lot of chances. How much of that are we going? How much more of that are we going to see moving forward? Because we got the news before about an hour and a half before kickoff on Saturday that Kevin Austin, likely done for the year, rebroke that left foot, which really shouldn't be a surprise because the time the the, the, the when it first happened, when he first broke his foot and Brian Kelly said that he was going to be out for about eight weeks, my mind immediately jumped back to former Notre Dame men's basketball power forward, Bonzi Colson, who had the same injury. Yeah. The fifth metal tarsal on his left foot cracked. He had surgery, eight weeks, eight to ten weeks recovery time. Bonzi Colson came back at the end of his senior year and broke it again. And then when I talked to Bonzi Colson at the year end award ceremony, he said, this type of injury, there's probably a 70 to 80% chance that when you break it and you get it fixed and, and you, get the, you get the screw put in it, there's a 70% chance that it's going to break again. It happened to Kevin Durant. It happened to Bonzi Colson. And when I found out that we found out that Kevin Austin had this injury, my first thought was somewhere along the line, there's a pretty good chance this is going to happen again. And Brian Kelly mentioned after the game, it's the same it's the same type of break the second time around that Bonzi Colson had. When Bonzi Colson yeah. broke his foot against Penn State, he said he broke it right in the area where they put the screw in, and he had cracked it so much that he had bent the screw that they put in his foot. Yeah. Brian, Kelly, Brian Kelly said yesterday, too, he said, he said Kevin Austin broke it right up, right where the screw was. They're going to have to see as they move forward how they want to proceed, but I'm sure it'll be surgery again, another screw, and then from move from that point on, Bonzi Colson, knock on wood, he hasn't had any further foot problems playing professionally, a little bit in the NBA and now Europe. But that's the last we're going to see of Kevin Austin until spring practice. How does that change this offense moving forward without really a big play guy? Because not only did they lose Kevin Austin, but then late in the game, for whatever reason, Braden Lindsay's running on a fly pattern, pulls up lame with the left hamstring. So – even that may be an issue moving forward. 
Yeah, let's talk about that real quick. I did not like the decision to have Braden Lindsay on the field that late in the game and running mm-hmm. that kind of route. I mean, I know you want to get Brendan Clark reps, but what are you thinking? I mean, <laughs> the guy, Braden Lindsay has gotten hurt so many times in his career. I can't even count up the injuries. You know, he, he didn't play in one game last year because he was fatigued, whatever that means. <laughs> um, and so you gotta, you gotta find a way to, to keep him off the field. I mean, what difference does it make when you're up 45 to three and hamstring injury, just like the injury you just mentioned is one where you can really re-aggravate it. And, uh, so I, I did not like that decision. Uh, but I think you lose your fastest receiver and you lose your biggest playmaker receiver in Kevin Austin. And I think the key going forward is, okay, we've seen Javon McKinley make, a few big plays here and there. We've seen Ben Skoranek make a couple huge plays. Is it sustainable? It, it, are these two guys that week after week or when the chips are down against a great defense like Clemson, can they do it? And I just don't know if they can. I think, you know, Notre Dame is going to keep three receivers off the field when they can. They're going to put in multiple tight ends. They're going to involve Kyron Williams in the passing game. I think you have to be a little bit creative. Um, we even saw on Saturday them running a couple screen passes to Avery Davis, and we saw it last week. They, they did a couple of gadget stuff with Avery Davis, trying to get his athleticism involved. So I think they're going to have to get a little bit more creative in their passing game and then take a few shots down the field when they need to. That'll be the key. And then third down when it really matters, when it's third and five, that's when you go after a guy like Michael Mayer. Yeah, when you stay creative. What the heck was that play to Javon McKinley? The screen pass where Ian yeah. Book's kind of rolling out and then, he's run, and then he's scrambling and McKinley's standing there at the line of scrimmage and he just kind of – I thought he was throwing it away. And yeah. wait, there's, there's Javon McKinley and they turn that into a, a big play. Plays like that are going to work against Pittsburgh. I don't know if those are going to work in two weeks at Notre Dame Stadium against the number one team in the country. No, absolutely not. And yeah, I mean, and, and will Ian Book be able to run for 40 yards uh, and get huge third down pickups against a team like Clemson uh, that might be spying on him? Uh, I don't know. So uh, Clemson's going to try to take away the best things that he can do. Running the football is one of those things. And uh, yeah, I, I'm going to be interested to see how teams scheme up Michael Mayer, too. If, mm-hmm. if he's going to do this every week now, um, because I don't think he's just going to be a one-catch, nine-yard kind of guy uh, on a couple weeks. I think from this point on, he should have at least three catches, 30 yards just about every week. And that that's better than any receiver has done this season. So um, going to be interesting to see how teams kind of defend them uh, – if, if they're going to continue loading the box with how Kyron Williams and Chris Tyree have been run, running the football. Uh, but, you know, you have to think that Ian Book would take advantage of that too. And finally, we've talked offense, we've talked defense, special teams. That, the, that block punt by Isaiah Foskey looked like it was like a, a, a practice rep. It was so easy for him <laughs> to get in there. He did sort of the same thing last year out at Stanford in the season finale. They saw obviously Notre Dame saw something to, to be able to go after the pit punter the way they did. But Isaiah Isaiah Foskey, all he had to do was reach his arms out 
the ball's going to hit it and then just fall on the ball and he gets a touchdown. That's Isaiah Foskey for you. He, he, you need number seven to be on the field more, special teams defensively, because he can make plays like that. You know, this might be a, a crazy take, and I'll, I'll probably Crazy's reg- okay. It's regret 10 it. in the morning. At what point do you consider Isaiah Foskey as a starter? Like, is, is that crazy? No, not at all. Yeah, I mean, every single time we have seen this kid play, he has been insanely productive. Mm-hmm. He'll play, you know, 20 plays in a game and make a huge impact on half of them. And, you know, he just loads the box score. He loads the stat sheet. Um, he knows where to go, and he's overpowering. He, he is for, – for him to be at this level as a sophomore – he is a star in the making and uh, will have at least another year left at Notre Dame. And I think he'll be an early entry because I think he's – by the time he gets that starting role, when he gets those meaningful snaps, 50, 60 snaps a game, he is going to be unreal. And I think – you know, I remember Julian Aquara last year, he wanted to beat Notre Dame's record in sacks. Uh, <laughs> didn't get there. I think, I think Foskey is a player who could get there by, the, by his final year at Notre Dame. And that might be kind of a lofty expectation, but he is that kind of player. and He will be one of the best defensive ends to come here in recent history, I think. Okay, offense, defense, special teams. Let's talk about environment. You were at Pitt Stadium yesterday. We were at Heights yeah. Field yesterday. What was the environment, the first road environment for Notre Dame this year after four home games? Well, with Pittsburgh itself, it was my first time to the city. And it has to be one of the more underrated cities in America. I mean, you don't hear a ton of Pittsburgh hype. But, I mean, especially in the fall, it is such a beautiful city. All the hills, the river, the, just the scenery with the, the, the fall and the, and the trees. Um, I was very impressed. And Heinz Field, where it's located on the river, mm-hmm. is, it's, it's beautiful. Um, the stadium itself is great. Um, it was funny walking to the stadium because you see so many familiar faces, like parents of players and, and like just like super fans that go to every game that you've seen around. Like I, I was, I w- it was almost like a high school reunion where you're like, oh, I know that guy, I know that guy. <laughs> when there's only 5,451 fans, you know Look a lot you. of them. Look at you nailing the attendance. Fifty-four, fifty-one. Yeah. You got that memorized. Yeah, I've got that memory. But, <laughs> yeah, so um, I thought that was kind of cool. And, and they did a really good job from what I thought um, with social distancing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think at some Notre Dame games, there's been some criticism of like, okay, there's like 30 students congregated right there, and they are not, you know, they're, they're, they're doing some things that are questionable. But – in this environment, they were really spaced out across the whole stadium, uh, saw some masks, um, and it was, a, it was a decent environment. I mean, for 5,500 fans, it kind of felt like a, like a mid-tier high school game, you know, where you're just kind of like you hear some applause, but it's not like overbearing. That, that's kind of what it felt like, which, you know, I mean, it's better than nothing. So – um, I think it's more of an experience for the fans than the players. The players, you know, they'll tell you they don't hear a difference, and I don't think, I don't think 5,500 is going to make a difference. But for the fans, 
it's cool because like I said, it's, it's like a high school reunion uh, slash like high school game. And it allows them to just kind of be there and watch the game and not have to worry about traffic and like um, tailgating and getting the game. Like they can just show up and kind of just hang out in their own little section and with their own little friends. So I think it's kind of cool for the fans and they seem to do a nice job with the pandemic and everything. The good news is you enjoyed yourself in the trip. The bad news is now you have to hop in the car and drive all the way back to Indiana this afternoon. You had to remind me. Have fun with that. I've made that drive many a times covering Pittsburgh in the Big East and the ACC. And also, I used to drive out to West Virginia, which is uh, Morgantown's about an hour, about an hour and 10 south of where you are in downtown Pittsburgh. So know that area well, know that drive well. Just be careful coming across the Ohio Turnpike because those Ohio State troopers, they're not playing around on Sunday afternoons, especially with guys traveling with out-of-town plates. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised I didn't get a ticket on the way over here, (laughs) if I'm being honest. And it's going to be hard driving when the Cowboys are playing and probably losing to a bad football team in Washington. So we'll see how that goes. All right, that puts a wrap. Notre Dame 45, Pittsburgh 3. The Irish moved to 5-0 overall, 4-0 in the ACC. Coming up again, another road game, another Saturday afternoon game, another game on ABC. Notre Dame goes to Midtown Atlanta to play Georgia Tech. Not at the Mercedes-Benz Stadium in downtown, but at Bobby Dodd Stadium at Grand Field on the campus of Georgia Tech. That game tips off, kicks off 3.30 Saturday afternoon, ABC. We will talk to you next Sunday, maybe a little later, because I'm covering that game. I've got to travel. I've got to actually fly. So we might have the podcast a little later on Sunday afternoon when I return home from Indiana. Carter, safe travels, my man. I'll see you later this week. (laughs) 